Hello, thank you for tuning in. My name is Nella, and welcome to my podcast, Ethereality. A quick background on me, I have been interviewing people about their near-death experiences on The Other Side NDE for the last two years now. I honestly couldn't think of a better use of my time, so NDEs will be a hot topic on this podcast, but I want to talk about other things too, so I created a space where we can talk about all things metaphysical, spiritual, scientific, or likely a combination of all of those. Thank you, Colin, so much for being here. I'm really excited to hear your near-death experience story and talk to you a little bit about how this has had an impact on your life and how you sort of see things in the world and spiritually post having this kind of experience. Really good to be with you. Great. So why don't you start by telling me about your near-death experience? Sure. Well, it's going back away. 2008 was the year and I was having chest pain. I wasn't sure what was happening, but I had a suspicion there was something wrong with my heart. So I went to see the doctor and had ECG tests done, and I was waiting for results to come back. And uh, basically, it was painful if I was exerting myself, doing things physically. And uh, the doctor, she said to me, look, you need to be careful. Take it slowly. Take it easily. Uh, don't push your body. Just relax a bit and see how you go, and the results should be in within a week or so. So I, I did that. I was very relaxed for about three or four days and was feeling good and actually started to feel a little bit better. And uh, about this point, it was the weekend. It was a Sunday afternoon. I, I looked out the, the back door at my, my garden and I realized this is out of control. This, is, this can't go on. <laughs> Uh, so decided to go out and try and do something about it. So uh, went and got my line trimmer, uh, I believe you call them weed whackers in America. I'm trying to start a machine was not working well, was refusing to sputter into life, so it would not cooperate. So I continued to pull on the, the cord to try and get it starting. And after about, I guess, 10, 20 pulls, on the cord, suddenly I was hit with a massive pain in the chest. Uh, big, felt like a huge cramp. I don't know if you've cramped up, but it was a cramp right across the front of my chest that was really quite intense and quite painful. And I immediately knew this was definitely heart attack material. This was something far out of the usual for me. So I, I basically stopped trying to start the machine, obviously, and just stood in the, in the garden and, and realized this is not a good situation. I'm here alone in the garden. No one else is in the house. I'm having a heart attack. This is not looking good. Uh, and just as I was thinking that, a huge voice, I don't know if it was actually audible, but it was very loud in, in my head, extremely loud, like nothing I've ever heard before. And this voice just said to me, you are going to die, but I have things for you to do, which set me back because obviously there's two different outcomes there. Uh, so I said, I'm going to die, but you have things to me, for me to do. Which, which one is this? <laughs> which way do I go here? And this voice just continued to talk and just said, go inside, pack a bag, call an ambulance and be ready to go. So I could still move around and do things. So I did go back into the house, uh, pack my bag called the ambulance. They got there very quickly. 
would have been within five or ten minutes they were there and in the door they came there was one very experienced paramedic and the other one was a rookie it was his first day on the job so the, the experienced one said I'll, I'll just let this guy take the uh the job of looking after you so he did that and i was quite comfortable with that because the experienced guy was there and uh, he said we're going to treat you with a bit of morphine and nitroglycerol which is to lower your blood pressure take the pressure off your heart we're not sure if it's a heart issue or not but we will assume it is just to be on the safe side so they injected me with with morphine and gave me uh, nitroglycerol under the tongue which worked fairly quickly and then they loaded me onto the gurney and trolled me out and put me in the ambulance and we headed off towards the hospital on the way as we were going, he, uh, he said to me, look, we're going to give you a bit more, a second shot of morphine, a bit more nitroglycerol. This is standard treatment just to uh, look after you, make sure your heart's under no pressure whatsoever. So they went ahead and did this and injected me again with, with morphine and nitroglycerol. And just after they did it, I said, I am feeling very dizzy and I am going to pass out. I can tell you I'm going to pass out. Uh, I could just feel it coming. So. The next thing I knew, complete blackness. I was gone. Now I had passed out before, so I knew what it was like, but this was different. It wasn't just, just I'd fainted. I was totally a separate being at that point in time. I was just in darkness. There was nothing. And, and I was very alert and aware of what was happening. I was just floating in darkness and suddenly everything was really different. So I thought to myself, this is strange. This doesn't feel like a usual faint. I was aware enough to be aware of that. But on the other hand, it was really pleasant. It was really dreamy and floaty and almost as if I was in complete darkness, just floating in water. And it was really felt good because I'd been in pain. I had, you know, chest cramps and the whole body was in pain. And suddenly there was no pain. Suddenly everything was very pleasant. And I thought, oh, I could. I can enjoy this. This is nice. So I was just floating along in this, this darkness, felt like I was just floating around. And after what felt like a couple of minutes, I thought to myself, hang on a minute, I got a funny feeling I might be dead. I might have died. And I was just thinking about it, strange in this very dreamlike sort of condition to be stopping and thinking, oh, I think I'm dead. But that's exactly how it happened. And, and with that realisation, came a bit of fear and no one i think really wants to die and i was, was just sitting there thinking wow this could be it i might not ever be coming back into my into my body and into my life so as i was floating along uh, uh, this fear sort of started to drag me downwards a little i felt like i was being dragged down and that made me more afraid and as i was continuing to go and, and drift along the fear grew, the drifting downward became more, more sudden. And I then looked down as such, if you could actually describe it as that, but I became very aware of what was beneath me and it was like a bottomless dark pit. And I just felt this feeling that this was infinite nothingness beneath me. Really didn't want to go there. It didn't feel like that's where I wanted to be at all. So I wouldn't say I panicked, but I was very much afraid of heading down into that darkness. So 
I'd been a, a believer in, in God all my life. I've been a Christian all my life to various degrees. So at this point, I just really called out. I just said, Jesus, help me, screamed it out with everything I had. It wasn't really a scream. I was in a spiritual body, but just emanated this cry for help. And uh, I continued to drift and continued to go downwards, and I was thinking, oh, boy, um, this isn't looking good. And after a short while, suddenly the hand just, just grabbed me by the wrist. And this, this beautiful sort of shining being just grabbed me and, and said, you don't want to go that way. And he started to pull me upwards. And we travelled upward. Uh, there was still very much a sense of up and down. And we travelled upward at an incredible rate. It felt like a, a Star Trek, you know, jump to a hyperspace sort of sort of feeling. It was just things were just flying past me, whooshing past me. I don't know what they were because it was so rapid that everything was blurred. And we were traveling at an enormous pace for some time. It felt like a minute or two. And then after just rising up this time, I, I had no idea distance or where I was going, what was happening. But after a short period of time, we stopped and I realised there was a dim glow and I realised then that I was surrounded by six or seven angelic beings were standing around me in a, in a semicircle. And I just suddenly had to readjust and, and realise where I was, that, that this was, if not well, he told me clearly it wasn't heaven, but it was certainly on the way to heaven. I was, I was being taken in the direction. He actually said to me they'd come out to meet me, and, and he said, you have a choice to make. You can either come with us onto paradise and stay there forever, or you can return to your life on earth, and that choice is yours. Uh, you need to make that decision here. And he put it entirely back on me as to whether I was to live or die. Now, let me talk for a little while about what it was like to be there because if it felt nice and dreamy when I first blacked out, this was something else again. Being with these angels was amazing. Their, their sense of wisdom and agelessness was palpable. It was tangible. It was something so strong and I felt so small and weak and insignificant in their presence. These were incredible beings. And I've felt surrounded by this beautiful warmth and love that just absolutely flowed into me from these angels and from the one who came to get me. And I was overwhelmed with the sensation. It, it just felt as if my chest was going to burst open with the power of this love. It was beautiful beyond words. And their wisdom was so far above anything I could understand. You may ask, how did you know this? And as we started to communicate, I realized there was no words. We weren't using words. This was just a direct soul-to-soul, mind-to-mind link, and I could actually feel their thoughts and they could feel my thoughts. And whatever we thought was like a conversation and we were conversing with thoughts. So there's no room for lying. There's no room for deception. It's absolutely transparent and open and they knew exactly what I was feeling and I knew exactly what they were feeling and thinking. So I could sense the enormity of their, their capacity, their intellect, their, 
they're just at a higher level than I could ever imagine. So I, I was just lying there and thinking, wow, this is the best thing ever. This is an amazing experience. I don't want this to end. And then I had to think about my life and what I was leaving behind, which was I had, I had five children. I had one daughter in a wheelchair who was brain injured, an eight-year-old son, a 10-year-old daughter, a 14-year-old daughter. You know, there were children and responsibilities that I had that I just didn't feel I could walk out on. And more than that, I, I didn't feel my life was open. I didn't feel I'd done what I was on earth to do. And all these things started to rise up inside me. And I, I started to get a little bit fearful and panicky. And um, suddenly they reacted when I started to get fearful. And they, they gathered around me and placed their hand on me and started to calm me and, and get me to settle down a bit. And they said, look, we're not used to fear in this place. Fear is not the norm. What, you just need to calm down and be relaxed. Everything's okay. We've got you. It's all under control. And gradually I did calm down. And it made me think, wow, there's, there's no fear with these beings. They don't have to fear. There's nothing for them to fear. They are totally surrounded by love, living in love, living in a beautiful environment. And, and it was amazing. So I had a big decision to make. Was I going to go on with them to... The, the paradise heaven or was I going to return to my life and I I stopped and I thought about it and I um I said oh I think I need to return but also at this point I turned to the the one who'd come to grab me by the wrist and bring me up and I said who are you that was my and question too <laughs> yeah <laughs> who are you and he looked at me and he just said I'm the one you call Lord and I just looked at him and he was different he wasn't the same as the other angels. They were looked to be about 10 feet tall. They were big. They were really big, big, amazing beings. This was a man glowing. And I knew straight away it was Jesus. This is the only person I, I would ever call Lord. And it was just him standing there. No, no big crown, no big throne. It was just him in front of me. But as that realization hit me, so did the nature of him and, and actually who he is in his heavenly state and he is beyond imagination in terms of not his appearance i mean he just looked like a man certainly glowing and in a white gown uh, and some of the pictures we see online that people have drawn of visions of jesus are pretty close middle eastern dark beard fairly narrow face longish hair but that wasn't what i was interested in because he was just pumping into me this incredible love, this beautiful, beautiful love. It, it was more than I could bear. I, I try to equate it to some memories of when I was a very small child and my mother would just hold me and hope just that beautiful sense of love and security that you have in that moment. And this would have to be multiplied by a thousand to understand just how incredible the sensation of love was when I was with him. So I was just literally taken back and just just fell down, if there was such a thing in that condition, just fell down at his feet and I said, wow, I can't believe I'm actually with you, Lord. I just can't believe I'm actually with you, Lord. This is so good. And he, he looked at me and said, basically, uh, you've been through a lot and I'm going to give you some healing. I'm going to give you some restoration. 
So I said, please, please feel free. I'll take anything you have for me. I was only too, too keen to receive. So he then came and started to, I guess, blend with me. We were talking about the mind-to-mind communication and he came close to me and he actually started to enter into my being and I could feel him inside my soul as such. And he was shifting things and I could feel grief and anger and things just being moved out of the way. It was like spiritual surgery is, is the best way I can, I can describe it. So he was basically giving me therapy, <laughs> the therapy from the Lord directly, which was a fantastic thing. He did this for some time. But while we were joined, not only did I feel him inside me, I started to feel and sense what he was feeling and sensing. And I got an idea of what it is he is as a being. And just how huge and how magnificent his personality and his awareness and and what function he fills in the universe is enormous. He was totally above time. He could see into the future, into the past, anywhere at all. He was totally beyond space. He could see anything at any point in, in the Earth. I mean, I don't know what's on other planets, but he certainly could see and sense absolutely everything on earth. He could tell you what was under a rock in Africa. He could tell you what was happening at the North Pole uh, with a polar bear. You know, he, he knew it all. He just had this knowing of everything that was happening. It was like everything was patched into him. And that was, I don't know how to express it. Uh, that's probably the point. It's beyond words to have that sort of experience and so beautiful and so powerful. And look, you know, I nearly choke up when I'm just thinking about it. It's, it's definitely the high point of my life. And it's been very hard for me since then to adjust back <laughs> after experiencing something like that, which was just so amazing, so good, so much higher than what I experience in this life. So this was good. He finished his spiritual surgery on me, whatever it was. And I did feel so much better than. He then said, um, all right, you've, you've chosen to go back. There's certain things we just want to do and we want to check things out. So he said to one of the angels, go down and check the vessel. Uh, at this point, one of the angels just drifted off and I looked and suddenly I could see myself off way in the distance still lying in the ambulance. And this angel drifted down and was inside the ambulance looking around checking out my body, seeing what was happening there. Um, So obviously he was seeing if it was okay to send me back if everything was going to work all right. Why he needed to do that, I don't know. The Lord knows everything. Why he needed to check out my body, I'm not sure. I don't have the answer to that. But that is what happened. And while this angel was gone, um, Jesus just came with the angels and took me aside and said, there are things we've just got to talk to you about if you're going back into your life. One of the things he said to me was he did want me to spread the word about what had happened as much as I could, which is why I'm here talking to you now. He also then started to talk to me about things in my life that had not yet occurred, and he started to show me things from my life. And there was things from the past, things from the future, and it was as if he was showing me a 
a movie screen through through a veil. I could see dimly things that were going to happen in my future, many of which have happened. Uh, a very accurate sort of outlining of certain events in my life, which I won't get into because it's, it is very personal, but he really did talk me through the things that were to come and the decisions I have to make. And he said to me, if you are coming back and entering into paradise, it is up to you what you do, the decisions you make, the things you decide in your life will eventually decide whether or not you can. There is no guarantee. But he said, if you make the right decisions and make the good decisions, and you, you will be back. It's up to you. And I could see, because after I returned to my life, there were things that could have easily dragged me away. And, you know, some did tempt me to, to go away from my faith and my belief and things like that. But he was just reinforcing to me, no, you, you consciously have to stay, stay aligned, stay in your faith. If you expect to come back to paradise, it's not going to be just automatic. So that was like his, his little, I think, warning and instruction to me. He showed me, you know, one particular person that said, you know, you'll have plenty to do with this person. And that did come to pass, uh, most definitely. I'll talk more about that a bit later on. So that was an incredible experience. I, I got to see things really amazing stuff. Some stuff he would show me, other stuff he wouldn't show me. He, he was saying to the angels, show him this bit. No, don't show him that bit. It was like he was shielding some things from me, but revealing other things to me. So this went on for a while, and then eventually the angel came back and said, yep, yeah, the vessel is good, which obviously meant I could go. So Jesus just spoke to me and said, all right, we will send you back. There was a lot more. I, I mean, I really can't remember every detail of every communication place. Sometimes things come back to me. Uh, but there was a lot that he discussed with me in that little period of time. Uh, and then he basically said, okay, that's it. We'll, we'll send you back now. And I felt myself once again in this, this floating sensation as if I was underwater. I could see a light. I could see a light slightly above me and I just headed for the light and it was as if I was busting out of water as if I was coming up from underwater and I just came out and took <sighs> this huge breath uh, and I was back in the ambulance but it was not a pleasant arrival <laughs> it was it was like I, I say it's like hitting concrete I was in this beautiful spiritual state this beautiful light weightless it was a delicious sensation being in that condition. And then to come back into my body mid-heart attack uh, was really hard. And, and I sensed it was just such an evil place. This world, in comparison to where I was, is such an evil, dark, heavy place. As much as we have beautiful things in this world, what is there is at another level. It's, it's more real. It's more complete. It's more beautiful. It's everything you can imagine that's better. It's up a notch. It's definitely up a big notch from where we are here. So entering back into my body was hard at first. It was a real struggle just realize, oh, boy, here I am back in this condition. And interestingly, although I still had pain, although I could still sense all this sort of dark, oppressive environment that I was in. 
uh, I wasn't afraid anymore. Like fear of dying had, had gone. There was no fear of death, which was a great thing, a really nice sensation. So I just realized, oh, well, I'm having a heart attack. If I die, so much the better. Good. Bring it on. <laughs> I'd love to go back. But we went off to the hospital. There's some interesting things happened, actually. Uh, the young rookie paramedic was standing over the top of me with the defibrillator pads in his hand, and he was about to zap me. And he said, he just stopped and looked at me and said, oh, you're back with us. I said, yeah, wow. I said, you know, it must have been for a long, long time. It must have been for ages. So much has happened. And he, he quizzically looked at me and said, you've been gone for one minute. And that floored me. I was just like, wow, because I honestly felt I had been there for at least 20 minutes to half an hour, at least. It was quite a long time complex experience over a long period of time and to be told that i'd only been gone for one minute just absolutely confirmed for me that there is two different time scales going on here there's there's one heavenly time scale and there's one earthly time scale and they are not related uh, one is not linked to the other at all I think linear versus non-linear absolutely yeah in in one sense I don't know if, it, if it's – well, it is nonlinear in a sense, but I just think it's working in a way we can't comprehend. Nonlinear is one way of looking at it, but it's, it's above and beyond time. Time itself is not affected. This is another dimension where time does not have the control. Um, if there was any other elements at work in that dimension, I'd say it was um, good and evil, life and death. You know, those sorts of elements were more important than – past and present and just like in this dimension yes it, it's up down forward backwards distance and space uh then there's time and then there's these other dimensions where suddenly things of good and evil are really important and the things of life and death are really important and they are dimensions in themselves when you go to that that level uh, which is interesting because the Apostle Paul talks about that in, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, right at the end of the chapter, he talks about you know what can hold us from the love of Christ. Can, uh, can you know, he starts at the top and he says, life and death, angels and demons and powers and authorities, past, present, future, heights of, of above and below or you know, and he runs through the whole list of dimensions and talks about it. And he's saying the love of Christ runs right through and above all of that. And that was definitely my experience. The love of Christ was the highest force I encountered. In I, yeah. I love finding Bible verses that validate things that people say about their near-death experience. It's definitely in there. Yeah. Definitely. The thing is, when, when I got to hospital, I mean, they examined me and tested me and, and gave me the, the stent and the operation to, to fix the little thing in the heart. It didn't stop. The angels were still talking to me for a few days. I could still hear them, and it was as if there was just a very thin veil between me and, and their presence. What were they uh, saying? And, oh, one thing they said was really quite amazing. An angel said to me very clearly, there are blockages in your heart. We have healed three of them, but one we will not heal. So, okay, whatever. And I went in to get the stent. I went in with the uh, 
Angie and Graham and looked at everything that was happening in there. And the, the head cardiologist came to me later and he said, you're a very lucky man. Most men of your age, when they have this sort of heart attack, they die instantly. There's no coming back. And he said, and more than that, it's a, it looks as if you've had a heart attack in the past and that some arteries have spontaneously rerouted the, the, the blood flow around the blockages. So I said, this happens very rarely, but it does happen sometimes. And you look like you're one of those very lucky people who have been managed, managed to do this. And I thought to myself, no, I'm lucky because the angels have, have healed me. Uh, that was how I saw it. But of course, for a, a cardiologist, uh, that sort of possibility doesn't enter his frame of reference at all. But I knew what they said to me, and that was the evidence in the, the actual the actual medical readouts that we were, we were looking to to see what was happening. So I got my stent. It's still there. Things are, are looking okay with my heart. It was a slow recovery. That person the Lord said I would meet, I did meet. In fact, the angel said to me in hospital, that person is within 800 or within one kilometre of this hospital. Uh, and I said, whoa, okay. Uh, and then about two weeks later, I, I did meet this person who, um, yeah, I went on to have a very close relationship for over a decade and was a very important person in my life. So that was just one thing that he said that definitely came to pass. And uh, I saw the person in heaven and saw the person on earth and it was a direct link, a direct evidence to me that they were showing me through and beyond time, which is, which is in itself an amazing thing. It's a miracle. So you mentioned that you were raised in a Christian household, is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Yeah. So remind me again how old you were when you had this experience. I was 49, 49. when this took place, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what would you say was... were the main differences uh, in your faith standpoint before versus after your near-death experience? Okay, um, just the concept of faith, right? Faith is a belief in the unseen, a belief in something that's not tangible to you, but you choose to believe in it. So that's faith, right? And I grew up having faith. Look, not always. I was a bad boy plenty of times over my lifetime. I grew up in the 70s. I need to say no more. But to have faith is to believe in something, an invisible God, an untangible God that you can't see. Well, it's like I don't need to have faith in because I've actually been with him and actually experienced him firsthand immediately. It's not a faith anymore. It's a knowledge. It's just, I just know. I know God's there. I know God is working in my life. I, I don't have to question it. It's just a fact, which is a big change from, from where I was. It's choosing to believe in God and, and having faith that he was there and working in my life. So it's from faith into knowledge. I think that is the biggest difference in terms of how it's affected me personally. But far more than that, I think so many of the events in the Bible that we talk about and read about are really closely related to this. And I think a lot of the prophetic visions, things that people experienced in biblical times, I, I look at them now with a whole different perspective and a different understanding. So do I. I can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With my exposure so I, I, to the near-death experience stuff, I 
I also was raised in a Christian household and I pick up my Bible now and I read these things that you're talking about, like the the, the visions and these people had out-of-body experiences that was prompted by God and led by God to orchestrate, you know, this sort of narrative that this person mm. could then share in the biblical text. And and I see it too. I love that you pointed mm. that out. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Paul talks about it directly. Mm-hmm. I think it's the second, second Corinthians. He, he says, I, I once knew a man, which we all assume is Paul, being humble. I once knew a man who went to the third heaven and saw things that could not be spoken and returned again. And he said, I will, I will boast of such a man, but I will not boast of myself. So he was basically saying, yeah, I went there. I, I saw the third heaven and saw things that were too awesome to put into words. And uh, he was quite direct and open about that. And um, we, we read in his story in the book of Acts how he was, well, first of all, he had his road to Damascus experience where he saw Jesus directly. But he also had an experience where he was stoned and was carried off as dead and then obviously returned. So I would suspect that either or both of those occasions he's been into the heavenly realm and, and seen the spiritual realm and, and understood it firsthand. So, yeah, I, I think that was his experience, and I'm sure he's not alone. There is quite a lot of those sorts of things going on in the Bible stories. Do you struggle with like societal mainstream Christianity? Because I feel like there's a lot of inconsistency with mainstream Christianity versus like what the biblical text actually says uh yeah yeah when i say struggle with look i I understand it's just almost inevitable that over time institutions become very structured and inflexible and jesus spoke about that when he talked about putting new wine in old wineskins you know he, he was well aware of that whole process that they get rigid and and they get into a very fixed way of thinking and, and of understanding and will not shift. In fact, they'll be quite vocal about the fact that to disagree with this particular position is a sin. Whereas it's not necessarily a sin, it's just a different way of thinking about things. Uh, and that's what I think was happening with the Pharisees at the time of Jesus. That they were saying, our way is the way. Don't, don't vary from our way. We are the ones that carry the uh, carry the authority in this and we have the knowledge and you are under our uh, our authority and that I think is one of the things in the modern church that's starting to reflect back to that era particularly with near-death experiences strangely there's a real reticence to to listen and to pay attention to near-death experiences when there's such a profound and deep well of wisdom to be had from these things. Uh, but I think because of the sort of new age psychic sort of element that also has come in, they sort of lump it all in with that, say, no, that, that's out there, that's outside of our box. But um, I'm one who says there is not a box. We, we are Christians, but we are in the world and we are a part of the world, in it but not of it, as Jesus said. We are a part of this world, and, and to be insulating ourselves off from the world and thinking about it as if all these things are external to us is a big mistake. 
and something we should be far more willing to engage with the whole new age psychic world and talk about it because there are so many elements of Christianity that that really that is the genuine article. Christianity is the genuine article. Satan comes up with a whole lot of counterfeits and different things to deceive people and pull them away from the genuine article. And that's what I think is going on there. And that's where I think we've got to be very careful. So there is one reaction that says, well, yeah, we stay away from that stuff. But then when things that are happening in this area, profoundly Christian, and people meeting Jesus and hearing directly from God, we can't afford to lock them out of, of the experience of what should be in the church. And I think that's where the church has a lot in common with the Pharisaic mindset of the first century, is to just, oh, we're not familiar with this. This is new. This is outside our experience. This doesn't fall under our traditional way of doing things. Therefore, they reject it. That's my major level of upset, I think, with the church at the moment. Too much of that sort of, unless it fits our narrative, we won't have a part of it. Uh, I think that's got to change. It's got to change. The Absolutely. Become, yeah. And I think that I'm starting to see more books. I'm starting to see more conversations. I think on an individual level and a collective level that we're potentially outgrowing the necessity to have that element of structure, like as species. So I, I think that people are starting to realize that that is restricting our experience so much that it was necessary for the time being in which we were in the timeline. But I think that we're kind of moving into an age where it, we're discovering freedom from that legalism. I mean, I like yeah. to think that that's where we're headed. And that's why we're having these conversations. And that's because our souls know that that's stifling us and yeah. we want to escape and we want that freedom and we want to have that, that adventure again. Yeah, I think so. Look, look, there's so many different kinds of churches and there are some churches that are absolutely right with you. Like I would, I would say Bethel church. I'm, I'm very much a fan of Bethel Church and I'm involved in some things, some courses that they run. And, and they're really open to these sorts of experiences and to, and to, well, they have a school of supernatural ministry. They, they really believe that God's acting now and people are hearing his voice now and responding now in ways that wasn't necessarily happening in, in the past. So they are, they are open to that, that growth. And that I think is the key word. It's when churches stop being willing to change and grow, that's when it causes problem. Community is so important. I, look, it's really important to share your experience, share your love, be in a community of people, and that's the strength of the church. That's the side of it that I really do like. But it's, it's when the church starts telling you, no, don't do that, no, don't do this, no, don't do that. And we're not talking about blatant sin. We're talking about spiritual activities with the Lord. And they're saying, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. That's where I have um, an issue with it because God is working with people now, real time, in their lives, opening up their awareness, showing them things with their spirits, uh, the Holy Spirit flowing into them, miracles happening, lives changing. It's happening on so many different levels. Uh, I would advise the, the church don't stand in the way or you'll find yourself standing in the way of God. 
Amen. which is exactly what um, Gamaliel said to the, the Sanhedrin in the first century. You know, don't, don't try to stop these guys. You're going to be wrestling with God. And that's where we find ourselves now. So I I like that you said real time, these things are happening, you know, definitely agree with that. And it reminded me actually of a woman that I've interviewed about her near-death experience previously. And she said, like, and she's she comes from a similar perspective. And she she felt a prompting in her spirit to go to this like mystical event. It was like a mystics event um, where there was like psychics and and crystals and 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 whatnot. And she was shocked that she felt that like that prompting in her spirit to to go and set up shop in this type of a, an environment. And but she was like, "All right, God. I, I mean, you said let's go, let's go, and let's just see what happens." And the unfolding of trusting in that prompting and the impact she was able to have on certain individuals was so profound that afterwards she was just like, "Of course, of course, I should have been there," you know. And yeah. and that yeah. just kind of illustrates this sort of division that we have between these two phenomena. I guess you can mm. call it the the phenomenon of near death experiences, and then I guess the religion of Christianity. And I I feel like there's division here that yeah. shouldn't be here. Most yeah. definitely not. Yeah. And I actually Isaiah Isaiah Salvador, I, I believe that's how you say his last name. Um, he's a guy who does a lot of uh, deliverance ministry. He does live streams on YouTube. I absolutely love his content and. I saw that he made a video on near-death experiences and because I like his content so much and I, I adore him, I was scared. I was genuinely scared to click on it because if he had said anything about near-death experiences, all of it's trash or whatever, like from like a too religious of a standpoint, I was about to be like, I can't lose Isaiah Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. But to my surprise, I opened it and he was like, this stuff is real. Like, lean into it. There's truth in this. God is working in beautiful ways. Look at how God is working. And I was just oh. <laughs> I was so yeah, pleased. That's good. It's good. And I believe this is right currently, right now, an area God's really working strongly in. Um, look, I've written a book and, and I'd love people to read that. It's called Dying to Be Alive. And the author's name C. Thomas Perry. You'll find that on Amazon or whatever. I recommend buying it from the uh, the publisher, Ex Libris, if you do. But there's also someone else I want to push, and, and this is a guy called John Burke. He wrote a book called Imagine Heaven, and in it, he he's a researcher. He's, he's a minister. He's a pastor, and he's actually researched all of this and compiled a fantastic collection of NDE stories that really work through all the different aspects of it, how it works, what it's got in common, what things are unique, what things are in common. And he's just written another book, uh, just released this month, called um, Imagine the God of Heaven. In And I do say in all humility, he's, he's put about three or four pages of my story in there too, which is great. Oh, uh, but there is, well, I'd say around 100 different NDE stories or more that he's included it, that he's discussed, and he's talking about all of them. And the fact is there is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are coming back with these stories of near-death experience, partially because we've got the medical uh, ability now to put people back from the dead. And so, of course, naturally there's a whole lot more that people are expressing. And gradually 
the world is starting to listen. It's, it's slow, but even doctors are starting to listen because the evidence is mounting. When people come back and they tell a doctor they were dead and gone and they can come back and tell a doctor, oh, you put your keys in the drawer, you know, the doctor has to stop and think, well, there's got to be something to this, right? Because they were floating up around the roof watching the doctor put his keys in I the call door. those verifiable moments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's lots. There's lots. For me, that verifiable moment was you're going to meet this person there within a kilometre of this hospital. And bang, it happened. And, and that was just, to me, that was that little piece of evidence I needed to say, yes, this is, this is so real. This is so true. Things just keep on confirming in this really amazing way in that I, I'll sometimes be talking to people and people have just lost someone, someone's just died or someone's got terminal illness and they just come across my path and I'm able to talk to them about, hey, you know, it's, it's not the end, it's not the end and, and talk to them about their faith if they're not already, you know, passed, then talk to them about their faith and tell them about my story and tell them that heaven's real. Because that's that's what people really need to hear. It's it's a message of hope in such a dark and hopeless world that no, this is not the end. This is just one little chapter of our book, you know, a book that goes on forever. Uh, I have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I have one more thing that I want to touch on before we wrap it up. I really wanted to focus on the fact that in the beginning of your experience, you experience you saw that had that kind of descent feeling like like you're going in a direction of i mean some will call it hell some would call it low lower vibrational dimension or some direction that you apparently as i believe that was jesus he's just like you don't want to go there i kind of want to talk about that because i think that a lot of people who are in you know the, the into the spirituality stuff and near-death experiences like to attach to the narrative that there is only love and light. And I think that there is a very real truth here that there are lower vibrational dimensions. There is a, a place in which I believe we could call hell. And I think that that's kind of illustrated in your experience as well, because you were also told while you were on the other side that if there is a possibility that you will not return to that level of whatever heavenly realm or dimension you were currently at when you were having that conversation. So if there are near-death experiencers who end up having similar experiences to yours, however, they don't have like a Christ-like or a faith base if they're not Christians. Like I've heard atheists or Hindu people or like Buddhists, like all these other faith bases, people end up, they don't go straight to hell. So it's like, how do you, how do you reconcile the fact that Christians will say that there's only one way to that heavenly realm, yet atheists can experience it too? Yeah, this is, this is a real complex, I'm, I'm so glad you've asked this question. It's a really complex issue. Let me just start by talking about the concept of hell that we have mm -hmm. currently in the church. Uh, it's very heavily influenced by Dante Inferno, uh, which was written in like 13th century or something like that, where, where he goes to all these different levels of hell and the pitchforks and the, and the flames and the torture and all of this going on eternally. 
That's, that's not scriptural. That's, that's Dante. Let's get it straight, okay? That's not in the Bible in that sense. The Bible does talk about destruction. It does talk about those who have lived really evil lives will have to encounter this destruction. But you know what? It's actually, if you look at it carefully, it's actually talking about the end time judgment. It's talking about the end of time. It's talking about all souls coming before the judgment throne and some will go to destruction and some will go on to uh, immortality. And that that is written in. As for when we die, we go to this pitchforky, fiery hell. I don't think that's quite what it is. If you look at the Old Testament concept of Sheol, which is a Hebrew concept, it was a place of darkness and solitude and silence and a place of the dead and a place where the dead went to await judgment. It wasn't a place uh, of, of torture and torment. I, I tend to believe that, that um, this picture of hell that we've inherited is the destruction of what God chooses not to continue with into the next whatever it is, beyond the millennium, into the next new heaven and new earth. Some are not going to go through, and he's very clear about that in, in the Bible, and Jesus was very clear about that too. But a lot of what we call hell is mistranslated. Some some of it is Hades, literally, which is to do with Greek uh, mythology and gods. Uh, and in, in Hades, that was like the underworld. There's also one called Gehenna, which is used a few times, and Gehenna was a valley outside of Jerusalem where they used to sacrifice children and worship idols, and it became a place of disdain. They threw the rubbish, and, and there was this constant flame and, and smoke coming up from the valley of Gehenna, which is where they burnt the rubbish. So that was some of them were referring to that. So there's a lot of different words that get translated as hell in the New Testament, and, and it's not consistently the same thing that they're talking about. So. Uh, 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 what we've been taught about hell, I question it in terms of, of how it actually plays out when you really look at the Bible. It's, saying, it's not quite saying that. It is saying, yes, if you live a bad life and I'm a really evil person, yes, you will eventually, you will be destroyed and it will be permanent, right? That, that is going to happen. I have no doubt about that. But are you going to live an eternity of being tortured I don't think the Bible is saying that. It's a very different thing. It's continue or not continue is what the, the choice will be, I think, at this final judgment day. Uh, so that's probably going to raise a lot of heckles in, in church people, but it's legitimately, if you go in and study it, I think you will find that is what is there. I believe there is a place of the dead. That is not paradise. I believe Jesus came and took them from there into paradise. There is a place called paradise. There is a place called Sheol. They are two different places. They are two different, as you say, dimensional levels, different vibrations. But I'm not a big fan of the sort of Christianity that goes around saying to people, you will burn in hell. <laughs> no, it's not something I enjoy hearing. It's not something that I think is accurate. We've got to be a little bit careful, but we're not being a judge and a jury. There's a very interesting verse in Romans, I think, chapter 2. It talks about judgment. It talks about what will happen. And it says those who live by the law without knowing the law 
will be judged according to their own consciences and will be judged according to their own lives. So it's basically saying if someone is not a Christian and doesn't really know or understand Christianity, they won't be judged according to Christianity because God knows the thoughts of their hearts. God knows the intention of their hearts. That's how they will be judged. They will be judged by the words of their own mouth, it actually says. So, yeah, I think there's been a bit of a, a misunderstanding of what the Bible says, and I think particularly the, the medieval Roman Catholic Church has used it as a manipulative argument rather than it being actually scripturally um, accurate. Something just clicked in my head, and I'm truly I'm trying to grasp it because I don't want it to be just like a fleeting aha moment that I'll lose. It's like what you just said. It's actually a concept that I've carried throughout my life that those who know better are judged more harshly than those who don't. Yes. Um, and if you know better, ultimately, that is you had learned a certain dynamic, a certain way that was appropriate to participate in society. Yeah. And this becomes kind of a set of rules that you live by personally for yourself and that if you have learned a set of rules that or values i suppose that you personally are not living in alignment with that could i imagine manifest into i mean what you were just what you were referring to so in that sense that would be you know an atheist would be held to the standard of their learned convictions and th the way that they have an understanding of what's appropriate to navigate society and to be a human being. That's their set of, of values <laughs> mm. versus mm. somebody yeah, who- Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, versus somebody who's like Hinduism, goes, abides by Hinduism and they, they have those sets of, I guess, expectations for themselves to live up yeah. to their values and standards for themselves. Whoa. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked you that question. There is another side to this. I don't want to go giving the wrong impression. The other side to this, Jesus did say, no one comes to the Father but through me. Right. The question is, what did he mean by that? That's a good question. Now, does it mean unless a person has accepted Christianity, they are going to hell? I don't think so. I don't think that's the right conclusion to make from that. I think he's, and that's what I'm arguing is that that I, yeah. I don't personally believe that that is the case, and that's that's why I asked the question in the first place. Mm. But yeah. I love, and that's that's very much I, I do agree with you with that. But look, Jesus, I do believe he's just so essential. But let's let's look at the realities of of what's been done in the name of Christ in the church down through the centuries, and. It's pretty hard to accept uh, that such evil has been done in the name of Christ. The, the um, oh, I, I don't want to go through listing it all, mm -mm. you know, the crusaders and, and, yeah, and no, no. <laughs> going around massacring people in the name of Christ. No, this is not what Jesus was teaching. It's not what he's about. So I, I think there is a new environment, a new context that we're in where Jesus basically says, okay, if people reject me, then yeah, they won't be they won't be looked at well. But but what are they rejecting? 
do they really get to know and experience who Jesus is genuinely, or are they just saying, if he's anything like what I've experienced in in that church or what's been done in history, I don't a part of it. And quite frankly, that's a fairly reasonable standpoint with the things that have happened over the centuries. What's really got to happen now is, is people need to experience things like we're talking about, need to experience the miraculous, the love of God, God's yes. incredible, beautiful presence in people's lives. And to understand that's what Jesus was talking about. If they've experienced that and they still reject it, that's another story. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't hold it much hope for them if that's the case. Okay. I actually have had a plaque in my room uh, that said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. Mm, beautiful. And I think yeah. that that's kind of the key because I think that God wants us to connect and, and Jesus is here to provide us the strength of that connection. You know, like hmm. he is, yeah. he is the catalyst i guess i mean believing in 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 jesus i believe is the catalyst to and maybe not the only one but i think it's a magnificent one <laughs> to experiencing that uh heaven in your soul essentially and and i think that there's multiple different paths that we can take we can take you know a lower path or kind of an average path or our higher path is what like a lot of people refer to and i believe our we're prompted towards our highest path because that's going to serve us best that's going to give us the experience that we're here for and i think that for me personally because i would say i do know better because i have a relationship with jesus I, I was raised in a christian household that my highest path is in connection to god and jesus yeah absolutely <laughs> and you Unfortunately, now that you know that you are held responsible right. to live according <laughs> to that, you know that's 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 where I think the the whole argument goes. But if someone's been brought up in a really bad environment, and the only thing they've seen of church is, is big stone buildings and men in black robes and read in the newspaper about how they've been abusing children, well, can you really expect them to? take that on board and say, yeah, that's what I want to follow. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I, I think the onus really comes on to people of genuine faith in this age to communicate to the world what it's really about, that it's not about these structures, that it's not about this, this megalith of, of a church that's been around for 2,000 years. It's about what God is doing in people's hearts right now. And, and that's that's a big difference. That's a massive big difference. What you said about heaven coming down to earth, um, I really love uh, Bill Johnson's teaching. I think he's an amazing man. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, When Heaven Invades Earth. I recommend you read it. it. It's very much talking about the very sorts of things that, uh, that you've just been mentioning. Absolutely. Thank you for that recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and one thing that I do want to say before we close out really quick is that for the multiple near-death experiencers that I've interviewed who had a dark near-death experience, I have yet to come across anyone who has been descending into the pits of what we would call hell or lower dimensional vibrational places uh, 
not one of them has ever called out for God to save them and have been abandoned. Mm. They have that is true. They yeah. have all they have all reached out for Jesus or reached out for God, even even the people who didn't even believe and they just thought they were shouting into a void. And without even that heart conviction of like true faith and and calling out, like they called out without with the expectation of being abandoned, as if, as if it was a futile effort, and still were pulled from the depths of that descent. And that Absolutely. I think is an amazing illustration of God's love. Just to really to close in in this thought, illustrating this, um, let's go back to. The crucifixion and the three crosses and mm -hmm. the two guys beside Jesus and one of them said, "Ah, you're a fraud. You know, come on, bring yourself down from the cross." The other guy wasn't necessarily a believer of Jesus. He said, "Have you got no shame talking to him like that? This guy's done nothing wrong. He's just been crucified for nothing. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not right." And Jesus just turned to him and said, "This day, I will see you in paradise." Wow. Because the guy said to him, Lord, take me with you, help me, called out to him. And it was that simple. This guy had not lived a Christian life. This guy had not gone to, you know, to, to follow the disciples or anything like that. He was just a criminal who was being nailed on a cross next to Jesus. And all he had to do was turn around and say, Lord, please take me with you. And he said, yep, you're in. You're in. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, my experience. Lord, help me. Jesus, come and help me. And as you said, others, so many others have said the same thing. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't Amen. think it's as difficult as everybody's making out. Just trust in him, believe in him. He'll come and get you. Yes. Thank you so much. And I think that is a perfect note to leave off of. And I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me. And I feel like I could probably ask you like 20 more questions and we could just <laughs> vibe this whole conversation all night. But <laughs> I have to wrap it up, unfortunately. Thank you so much, Nella. It's been really, really good. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you loved this episode, please consider leaving a review. And don't forget to share the link with somebody who can appreciate this message. Blessings to you all, and I hope to catch you on my next episode.